Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. This morning comes from Proverbs 22, verse 16. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. So there are two paths to poverty that are outlined in this proverb. Oppressing the poor and bestowing gifts on the wealthy. But at first read, this proverb doesn't, it may not make much sense. The poor uh, can be easy marks uh, because they can't defend themselves well. They're vulnerable to oppression. And they frequently don't have much recourse if they're taken advantage of. And this means that those who do take advantage of them can be successful and make profits off the misery of those whom they oppress. But how does that equate to poverty? Similarly, making friends among the rich seems like a good way to earn their protection and assistance. Because in a fallen world, bribery works. That said, the point of the proverb And the wisdom to be found here is that in the realm of money, both extortion and bribery are dangerous tools to use to get ahead. With extortion, taking advantage of those less fortunate, you make a lot of enemies. And in time, tables get turned and fortunes change. Jesus tells us that with the measure that you judge others, you will be judged. So you don't want to be the former oppressor at the mercy of your former victims. With bribery, you subvert integrity and prove that you are not to be trusted. Moreover, the rich are not necessarily merciful. They are businessmen. And their favors are frequently dependent upon things like return on investment, credit score, or profit potential. They didn't get rich by accident. When you make yourself dependent upon the mercy of the rich, don't be surprised to hear, sorry buddy, it's not personal, it's business. Ultimately, this proverb is true because these things rest in the hand of our sovereign God. He's merciful and good and just. He is in heaven and he judges with equity and truth. And even if the oppressor or the one who puts his faith in men doesn't come to actual physical poverty in this life, he will stand before God and answer for his actions in the next life. And here is where we learn what really matters and what real wealth is. Don't forget the message of the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing to able, please need it.
start another year in God's providence, we get to start another book of the Bible. So we finished Acts, we, we, we celebrated Christmas last week, and as you can see, we're doing an introduction to the minor prophet Micah today, and we're going to be in the book for several weeks to come. And this book promises to be a wealth of information for us as we go through it. It's full of cries for justice and biblical truth, indictments against sin. Micah gives wisdom for the ages as he brings charges against Israel and Judah in the midst of their sin. And he also reveals the God whom we serve, who the God that we serve is, and what he is like, and how he works, and what he expects from us, what he wants us to do. This is the Christmas season, and there are many messianic prophecies in this book, but one in particular points us to Christmas. I'm speaking of Micah 5, verse 2, where we read, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That prophecy is referenced by the chief priests, and the leaders of the Jews, when Herod asked them where the Christ would be born, in Matthew 2, when the wise men came to Israel. One of the major themes of Micah is the lament for the oppression of the poor and the weak. And this reminds us of what the great need was for Christmas, for deliverance, and what Mary recognized in her song in Luke chapter 1, in Mary's song, we read, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So let's get into the book. Who was Micah? And what is his book all about? So the first thing we're going to start with is the context of the book, or what, what, what Micah's world was like. Uh, we live in the year 2013, or almost 2014, and Micah lived a long time ago, and the world was a little different back then. According to Micah 1, verse 1, Micah comes from Morsheth. Morsheth uh, is sometimes titled Morsheth Gath. It was a small town, 26 miles outside of Jerusalem. It was towards the, the Mediterranean Sea. It was in the foothills of Jerusalem. It was a little farm town. It was, it was rustic by comparison to the seat of power, to the kingdom of Israel and, and Judah and Jerusalem. Yet God called Micah from Morsheth to deliver his message to the great and the high places of the land. His, his message is addressed to the leaders of the world and to the leaders of Jerusalem. So it, don't despise small beginnings. Micah lived and he prophesied during the reigns of, of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
This was the same time period as the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is the, one of the large, it's one of the major, he's one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Micah is a minor prophet, but they prophesied at the same time. This is a golden age of prophecy in the land of Judah. The reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were from the years 750 B.C. to the year 686 B.C. So notice how the big number comes first, because before Christ we count backwards. So 750 is longer ago than 686 B.C. And so he ministered there. His, his, his ministry was probably more likely between the years 750. 10 or seven, somewhere between 710 and 740 down to 686. This time period was the last days of the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria was the capital of Israel because the kingdom had split between uh, Rehoboam. Solomon was the king of the, of the united Israel and Rehoboam, his son, tried to uh, lord it over his brethren and the Lord split the kingdom under Rehoboam. Um, but this time period that Micah is prophesying in is, is the last days of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And its capital was Samaria. And King Hosea was the king when it fell, and it fell in the year 722 B.C., which falls within the time period of Micah's prophecies. Jotham reigned about 200 years after Solomon's uh, reign. And, and uh, Jotham was a good king. His father was Uzziah, who was also a good king. Jotham became king at 25 years old, and he reigned for 16 years. But the kingdom of Judah was already in a state of moral depravity and decline when Jotham was king. So even though he was faithful, the people still were, the hearts of the people were not faithful to God. And, and Jotham's son, Ahaz, was not a good king. So Jotham was a good king. Ahaz was a bad king. He, he was 20 when he became king, and he reigned for 16 years also. But he was an evil king, and he, and he followed after the practices of the wicked kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. The Omri and Ahab. Remember, Ahab, Omri was Ahab's father. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. They, they, they worshipped the Baals. And so when Ahaz became king, he, he set up high places in Jerusalem. And, he, and, and in, the, in, the, in the hill country around, he worshipped the Baals and the false gods. He desecrated the temple of God. He took the gold from it. He set up high places to worship false gods. And all in all, he was a bad egg. Ahaz was a bad guy. And he was so bad, they didn't even bury him in the tombs of the kings of Judah. Now Hezekiah was a son of Ahaz. And by God's grace, he was a good king. So we have the, the, the kings of, that Micah worshipped, or ministered to, or, or prophesied to, who were leaders of the land of Israel, whom he prophesied against in his prophecy. Um, the first one, Jotham, good. Ahaz, bad. Hezekiah, good. And we know a lot about Hezekiah, because Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was more famous than both uh, Ahaz and Jotham. He restored the temple and its worship. He destroyed Nehushtan, 
Nehushtan was the bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness, and the people looked to it, and God saved them. But it had become a, 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 an idol that the people were worshiping, and so so Hezekiah destroyed Nehushtan. Um, he also um, took down the high places that Ahaz had set up. He was also the king when Assyria uh, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and they sent their armies against Judah, and they, they, sieged the, 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 they sieged Jerusalem, and they set up their armies all the way around, and, and that's when the Rabshakeh came up, and he was, he was, he was to, uh, calling out against Israel's God and said, how can your God save you? None of the, the gods of the other nations have saved them, and yet Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah that God would save him, because Hezekiah humbled himself before God. And so he was the king that God delivered from uh, Assyria, and he was given an extended life by 15 years. He had he'd fallen sick with a sickness unto death, and Isaiah came to him again, and, and Hezekiah begged God for deliverance from this disease, and God healed him because he turned to God in faith, and God gave him an additional 15 years to live and to rule over the land. Now, we learn in the in the book of Jeremiah, that Hezekiah's repentance and turning from the wickedness of the ways of Judah was, or, or, or the land of Judah's repentance, was due to Micah's prophecy. So if we go to the book of Jeremiah, we the context is this, and this Jeremiah lived uh, a, several, a couple hundred years or 150 years after Micah prophesied. And Jeremiah was a prophet during the fall of the kingdom of Judah. And, and, and the, the leaders of, of Judah, the king of Judah, and, and, and the, the false prophets there wanted to kill Jeremiah. They were, they were trying to, to put him to death. And, but the elders of Jerusalem and, and, and of Judah were trying to save Jeremiah's Life and and we read in Jeremiah chapter 26 this interesting uh, story verses 17 and 18 and 19. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Now obviously Micah's message was not one of rainbows and butterflies. He's bringing an indictment against Judah, and he's speaking hard words against a hard people, and a sinful people. But this is what this is what the uh, elders of Israel at Jeremiah's time say in defense of, of Jeremiah. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did they kill Micah? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? That's Hezekiah. Hezekiah, instead of putting Micah to death, turned to the Lord. And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. And they're talking about trying to put Jeremiah to death. They're, they're setting themselves up for great punishment. So you should have noticed by now that the issues in Micah's day were pretty serious. There's false worship. Um, 
there was rampant false worship. Uh, as we get into the, the text, we're going we're to see that there's institutionalized injustice or oppression of the poor. Uh, the, the people of the land were fat and sassy. They, the, the rich were, were full of themselves, and they were more than happy to take advantage for their own increase. And so the, uh, the middle class and the lower classes were being crushed by the oppression of the leadership. And during this time of, of Micah's prophecy, Israel attacked Judah. And Syria attacked Judah. And Judah was at war with some of her other neighbors. And on the world stage, this was the time of the expansion of the Assyrian Empire. But the whole time, God was concerned with his people and their repentance. So he sent Micah to them. And he, said, and he gave Micah a message for the people of Judah and for the people of Israel, but primarily the people of Judah. And now we get to the book of Micah. Now the purpose of the book is a warning for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom to repent and turn, lest they be destroyed for their sin. Um, verses one, uh, Micah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So we see there the time frame and, and what the word is concerning. It's the kingdoms of Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria is the, the capital of Israel. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. Micah's book is structured by 19 different prophecies. And they're given in three cycles. Uh, cycles of prophecy of judgment and then a prophecy of restitution. So we're, as we get into the book, um, chapters 1 and 2, there's... there's Prophecy of judgment, and then prophecy of restitution. And then three through five, uh, again, prophecy of judgment, and prophecies of judgment and prophecies of restitution. And then chapter six to the end of the book, six, chapter six and seven, uh, another uh, prophecy of, of uh, judgment and restitution. The first cycle is addressed to the nations and the earth. We read in Micah 1, verse 2. Hear all you peoples. Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now, each one of these cycles is introduced by the word hear. Um, so it's a Hebrew word. It's shema. And, and it's, it's not just hear, but it's, it's listen, obey. Uh, it's a command. So, so hear all you nations. And, and, and hear, listen, O earth. And, and, then, and then God brings a, 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 a proclamation of doom to Judah and to Israel for their, for their sin. The second cycle is addressed to the leaders of Israel. Uh, Micah 3, verses 1 and 2. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones? So he's, he's, he's indicting them. He's saying, leaders of, leaders of Israel, rulers of Israel, is it, aren't you the ones who are supposed to know justice, and yet you are the ones who hate good and love evil? And yet, the prophecies aren't just about 
condemnation. Because it, in Micah 4, we read, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts, and those who have been, whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcasts a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. So it's a cycle, back and forth, of condemnation and uh, and then uh, and then prophecies of restitution and then in the third cycle God addresses the covenant people and he charged and he brings charges against them hear now what the Lord says this is Micah 6 verses 1 and 2 hear now what the Lord says arise plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So the book of Micah is three cycles of prophecies, and and now a quick note about Micah's style. Well, first of all, he has style. His book is full of word plays and double meaning. He uses the names of places, and then he talks, of, and, and the, the names have meanings, and then he talks, he, he talks about how they're not living up to their names, and how they're not going to be what, what their names hold uh, the promise of. It's, it's a book full of poetry and meter, it's full of metaphor and beauty. Micah uses the stark imagery of harlotry to describe Israel's false worship, and cannibalism to indicate the nature of how Israel's leaders and its false prophets treat its people. He uses the threshing of grain to picture the destruction of God's enemies. And he uses the metaphor of birth to show that the coming suffering for the land and for God's chosen people is not in vain. It's in hope. And that's where we have the messianic aspect of the book. The suffering of hope and longing and looking forward to God's revelation and restitution and redemption. And he speaks of beating swords into plowshares and the promises of peace. So as we dig into the series, we're going to look specifically into how these prophecies are put together and, and, and the intricacies of Micah's message. And the message that he has is about false prophets and wicked leaders and evil standards. Just like um, when the Israelites would, would use unjust weights and measures for oppression or the, the institutional oppression of the poor. The violence and murder and the deceit that was rampant in the land. So Micah, the message of Micah sounds, he feels like the voice of the little man. He's, 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 he's the crying out of the one under oppression. His is the perspective of those who are being wronged by the system. And he is, is God's mouthpiece in all of this. He has the perspective of holiness. And he has God's message because he has God's spirit. In Micah 3 verse 8 we read, But truly... I am full of power by the Spirit of God and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And that's necessary because the gospel always starts with truth. And the truth is that we're sinners. 
The truth is, is that we desperately need to see our sin and to recognize it and open our eyes to it so that we can turn from it and so that we can turn to a holy God and learn who he is, what he is like, so that we can learn how we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to do. So Micah then goes on and, and he gives this, these prophecies of doom against sin. But then, he, then he, and he gives prophecies of, of doom, of future judgment and condemnation and the wrath of God due to that injustice and to that sin. And he clearly declares to the, he clearly declares beforehand the exile of both Israel to Assyria and the eventual exile of Judah to Babylon. And he does, he does that more than a century before it takes place. And that's because God is, is giving grace to Judah. Hezekiah turns from his sin. And though Micah's prophecies do come true, there's still hope in the midst of the story. And Micah holds on to that robust faith and clear testimony of the coming messianic reign of Jesus Christ. He predicts Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Uh, Matthew directly quotes... Micah, I, we, I talked about it in the introduction, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, out of you will come a ruler, and his kingdom will have no end. And Matthew quotes Micah as, as being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. More than that, uh, Micah teaches that the reign of the Messiah is eternal, and all men will be drawn to Israel, and righteousness will go out in the earth. And finally... Micah reveals to us the nature of our God. And this is what the, Mess the Messiah is all about. This is what the Jews, in their longing and yearning for uh, peace with God, in, in, their, in their reading and understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, is, is, is they're looking to God for, for redemption, for salvation, and for peace. They, they, wanted, they wanted this kingdom, this, this messianic kingdom. They wanted this, 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 this Lord with whom they could rule over the earth. But the, the nature of God is where this is all to be found. Um, God is, is, is a good God. Um, and, and, and because he's a good God, he expects us to be good people. So at the height of Micah's charges against Israel, his proclamations of their coming doom, near the conclusion of the book, Micah tells us what God expects from us. Not sacrifices. He doesn't want, he doesn't want bowls and he doesn't want rivers of oil. What, what God wants from us is justice and mercy and humility. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Alright? Now, to do justly is exactly what Israel and Judah are not doing. To love mercy is exactly what he's accusing them of not doing. They're doing the opposite. And... Of course, they're not walking humbly with God. They're walking full of their own pride and their, their, their own arrogance, and they're setting themselves up for destruction. And this may well be taken to be the theme of the whole book. What does God want from you? 
What does God want from you? And what more can we ask of God in his word but to tell us what it is he wants from us? And here we have it in, 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 in seed form and in, 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 short, in short form. This is, this, is, this is a shortcut. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's what God wants from us. But why does he want that from us? And, he, and the answer is, is found at the end of the book. It's because God is like that. He is just. And he is merciful. And he humbles himself to be just and merciful to us. In Micah 7, verses 18 to 20, these are the, the, the final verses of the book we read. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? And who is a God like you? That is a pun on Micah's name. The name Micah means, but who is God? Or, or, or who is God like? Um, that's what his name means. And he closes the book with a pun on his own name. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He, does, he will ha again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So Micah concludes the book with the promise and hope of God's forgiveness and mercy. So who is Yahweh, and who is a God like him? Well, the answer is found here. He's a forgiving and a merciful God, passing over our transgressions, throwing them into the depths of the sea and delighting in mercy. And that's the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. And here in this little book of seven chapters, we have, we have references back to creation. We have re references back to all of the history of Israel. We have prophecies into the future of the destruction of Judah and of Israel. And we have prophecies into the grand future and the great future of the messianic reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all found here in this little book. But it's a lot more detailed than that. This is a... This is a 30,000 foot flyover view here. We're doing a grand sweep uh, look at the book. But as we do so, what we can take away from it is that Micah is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is all about revealing God to us. And gloriously, he does this 700 years before the coming of Jesus. So that his people can have hope as they look forward to the coming redemption. And God does this in cycles. The book is in cycles. The world travels in cycles. And our lives go in cycles. So as God was faithful to Micah, and as God was faithful to Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and as God was faithful to Israel and Judah, and as God was faithful to Jesus Christ, so he is faithful to us. And he is merciful. And he hates sin, and he, and he casts it away. 
And He teaches us to do the same. He teaches us to do justly. But He also teaches us to love mercy. And that's the definition of what love is. It's mercy. Love is is giving grace that's undeserved. Pouring yourself out for others. And that's what Micah's all about. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. serve a gracious and a pardoning God. He is good, kind, merciful, and forgiving. But at the same time, He is absolutely perfect, holy, and just. He does not wink at sin or suffer injustice to go unpunished. So how can these two truths be reconciled? And an even better question is how can we sinners be reconciled with our God? And the answer is Christmas. Jesus, the Savior of the world, washing us clean and dealing with our sin and guilt. He nails them to the cross because He has borne our iniquity and He has borne our shame. In love, He shows us how to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. In Him and by His Spirit, we may know and live in the light of this glorious redemption and salvation. And as we partake of this meal, we are united to Him, and to His life, and to each other, to the praise and glory of God our Father. And we shall all rejoice greatly. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.